0: We have this bizarre and completely novel situation now in the nuclear age where you have one state fighting an illegal war against another state and then threatening other states implicitly and explicitly with its nuclear arsenal if they intervene beyond a certain level.
1: Yeah, it is bizarre, ain't it? Let's talk about it, shall we? I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am from Pacifica Radio in rainy and snowy Los Angeles. This is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's uh, KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Jamesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, so on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, declares me, from bradblog.com, now celebrating our 20th year of troublemaking and muckraking. Welcome to the Bradcast. Glad you could have have us here. Glad we could have you here, or something like that. The uh, continuing, and in case you have uh, yet to notice, more critical than ever... Battle to preserve and protect democracy continues on the broadcast today Uh, and in the state of Arizona, if we can get to it, where we discussed a a pretty major story on that score regarding its wildly corrupt now, thankfully, former Republican Attorney General Mark Burnovich. Talked about that on our previous show at the end of last week. Uh, and uh, democracy, the fight continues uh, for democracy planet wide, with the epicenter for that worldwide fight now currently playing out in Ukraine, as the sovereign nation has just crossed the one year mark in their valiant effort to uh, fight for democracy while holding off the brutal, unlawful, imperialistic assault and invasion. By neighboring Russia, its authoritarian aggressor neighbor, I should note, on that, on uh, on both points, actually, and on anything else that's on your mind today, I hope to open up the phones shortly as we begin another apparently- Very wet and even snowy week Here in Southern California Our phone number will be 818-985-5735 In fact, Desi Doyen Our phone number is 818-985-5735 Yes it is Is it not? The network is uh, The internet has not gone
2: down? The The internet has has not not gone down down. I tested the phones They appear to be working so far So we'll keep our fingers crossed
1: Thank you very much Desi Doyen Please hit option number one uh, To join us on the air When you call in Or option number two If you're able to support this program, this station, KPFK, our, flag- uh, our flagship station here in L.A., and uh, and this network, the Pacifica Radio Network, where we are yet again amid another more critical than ever fun drive. But uh, don't worry, no one will miss a minute of the program, even during fun drive, 818-985-KPFK. I want to start here today as I've uh, received a lot of really good feedback uh, from listeners following my interview last week with Stephen Schwartz longtime nuclear weapons policy analyst and former longtime executive editor and publisher of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Now, that name sounds familiar because they're the folks who set the so-called doomsday clock, the metaphorical symbol of how close we are to planetary destruction, essentially, at any given moment. With that doomsday clock recently being ticked forward a bit to 90 seconds to midnight, which is the closest that it has ever been, closer even than it was during the height of the Cold War. Now, as uh, Stephen Schwartz noted when we spoke about that a little bit on our show on uh, one of the broadcasts last week, is that um, the clock is now also... Uh, set the, the, the bulletin who sets it uh, now considers more than just nuclear weapons and, and such confrontations. It also takes into account things like climate change and pandemics, et cetera. So that's why we are now 90 seconds to midnight. In any event, the bulk of our discussion regarded Russian President Vladimir Putin and his announcement last week that he would be unilaterally pulling Russia out of the so-called New Start Nuclear weapons treaty with the u s it was enacted under Barack Obama in two thousand and ten and the last remaining such agreement uh, is was is was the new start uh, that 's the last remaining such agreement at this time between russia and the u s after Donald Trump unilaterally pulled the U.S. out of the INF when uh, he was in office, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Lots of really uh, insightful and helpful stuff in that discussion about all of the above. If you missed it, you can download the interview anytime, of course, for free at bradblog.com. And I may play a a few key points from our conversation here in a moment, since I, I, I hope to open up the lines on Ukraine and related matters. Now's your time if you want to get it on. On Ukraine. I know we've tried to talk about it a few times in recent weeks, and it seems like folks always call at the very end of the hour. I have to cut them short. Last week, we had someone who wanted to talk. Uh, it wasn't his fault, hung on uh, f- for quite a while. And just after we started the conversation, for some some reason, uh, either his phone or our phones dropped. My apologies. Give us a call right now, 818-985-KPFK, particularly if you're one of the folks who disagrees with my take on, uh, on Ukraine and the uh, critical nature of this fight to preserve democracy in Europe. So there was a point that I, I uh, had hoped to raise with Schwartz last week, uh, but we ran out of time for it. And that is the tweet that he has pinned to the top of his Twitter account, where he tweets as Atomic Analyst. Uh, He's a great follow, by the way. Uh, We've discussed it uh, on air before with him, but it's so striking, particularly when thinking about the dangers, the madness of the use of nuclear weapons, which he has long been an opponent of. So I just wanted to share with you again before, you know, the world and the nation sort of move on to the next issue that that sucks all the oxygen out of the news cycle. As as Stephen Schwartz wrote last year in June when he tweeted out this archival piece from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists from their print publication, uh, he noted in the March 1981 Bulletin, Conflict resolution expert and Harvard Law School professor Roger Fisher described his, quote, quite simple proposal to force a U.S. president to viscerally confront the lethal consequences of deciding to use nuclear weapons. So this is from Fisher's article at the time, back in 1981, regarding the presidential code that is needed to give final approval for launch or use of any nuclear weapons. So from Fisher's article, quote, my suggestion was quite simple. Put that needed code number in a little capsule and then implant that capsule right next to the heart of a volunteer. The volunteer would carry with him a big, heavy butcher knife as he accompanied the president. If ever the president wanted to fire nuclear weapons, the only way he could do so would be for him, with his own hands, to kill one human being. The president says, George, I'm I'm sorry, but tens of millions must die. He has to look at someone and realize what death is, what an innocent death is. Blood on the White House carpet, it's reality brought home. Fisher said, when I suggested this to friends in the Pentagon, they said, my God, that's terrible. Having to kill someone would distort the president's judgment. He might never push the button. Right. Exactly. As uh, Schwartz told me off air last week, uh, when I asked him once again about that, that stark passage Uh, That has come to be known as the Fisher Protocol, uh, he tells me And yes, it is gruesome, and yes, I like it I am, of course, no fan of war of any sort, much less nuclear war. I think that the Fisher Protocol would actually make use of nuclear weapons far less likely. Personally, I also have great concerns that a desperate Vladimir Putin in Russia, as things get worse and worse for him in various ways, could decide to use some sort of nuclear weapon. And yet, do I think this should prevent Ukraine from standing up for their own sovereignty and the U.S. and EU and other NATO countries from helping Ukraine to do exactly that by continuing to arm them so that they can defend themselves? No, I, I do not. Uh, I I do not think that we should stop uh, helping them to defend themselves and democracy in the bargain. I asked Stephen Schwartz about exactly that last week, given that so many, uh, including so many who I, I believe have been wildly disinformed and lied to on the left, continue to fall for this Kremlin propaganda that, you know, hey, don't forget, Russia has nuclear weapons. Putin keeps talking about them all the time. They could use them. Therefore, we should not be meddling and should somehow force Ukraine to give up its own sovereignty, I guess, for the good of the world, so we don't have to face nuclear annihilation. I guess that's the argument. If you can explain it to me better, my phone number is 818-985-KPFK. So here were a thought or two on that question from longtime nuclear uh, weapon opponent Stephen Schwartz. On the broadcast, this was just last
0: week. We have this bizarre and completely novel situation now in the nuclear age, where you have one state, you know, uh, fighting an illegal war Mm -hmm. and a very destructive war against another state, and then threatening other states implicitly and explicitly with its nuclear arsenal if they intervene beyond a certain level. So, you know, the way I see it, and I'm no big fan of war at all, right. uh, is that if we listen to Putin and say, okay, you're right, we, we can't risk nuclear war, so we're going we're gonna to stand back and let you carve up Ukraine however you want, and hey, if you want to take Belarus and Moldova, yeah. who are we to stop yeah. you? Know, I, mean, I think that would set a terrible, terrible precedent for the rest of the world, not only with regard to what Russia might do in the future, but other countries that have nuclear weapons yeah. or might want them, and who have leaders that have authoritarian ambitions for power and territorial gain might say hey you know there's something to this uh, this nuclear threat maker sure. i think we should we should we should do that even during the cold war mm-hmm. when we and the soviet union the soviet union back then had many thousands more nuclear weapons than we do now certainly there were problems like the cuban missile crisis you know the closest we ever came to nuclear war and other incidents but you know we did not sit back and say okay you've got nuclear weapons we are not going to get involved with you in any way, shape, or form. We didn't say, okay, we can't do anything because you might annihilate us. We need to show that nuclear weapons are fundamentally useless, not just for prosecuting war, but also for blackmail, because the, otherwise the future world that we're going to live in where, uh, that brought to you by nuclear coercion mm-hmm. is going to be far worse than anything we dealt with during the Cold War, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. A world brought to you by nuclear coercion. As long as you got nuclear weapons, well, you know, you, you can't push back against anyone with nuclear weapons. By the way, if you don't have nuclear weapons, if you needed an incentive to get them, well, there you go. Schwartz you know, is a guy who understands the very real threat posed by nuclear weapons as, as much as anyone on this planet. In fact, I, I, I believe he's absolutely right, despite how often I hear from those. And again, I'm focusing on the left today as opposed to the folks on the right um, who are, you know, by and large, gone, not reachable in their own impenetrable fact bubble. Uh, You know, I I often hear from disinformed and misinformed folks on the left how we must stand down with our support for Ukraine because, well, Vladimir Putin has nukes and he might use them. Is that a good reason? Is that a good reason to stand down? Maybe it is. Maybe you think so. Give me a call. Uh, You may be one of those people. Uh, Feel free to call in and share your thoughts on this. 818-985-5735. I promise not to be mean. If you're polite, 818-985-KPFK hit option number one. As to uh, Schwartz's point there about standing down, allowing uh, Russia to have his way because he's you know threatening to use nuclear weapons, allowing him to essentially take Ukraine and this fantasy that, well, you know, he'll simply stop there once he has Ukraine. Well, Schwartz mentioned uh, in that quote just now uh, Belarus and Moldova as, frankly, being next thanks to nuclear coercion. If, in fact, you know, the U.S., EU, NATO, et cetera, stops helping Ukraine, well – on the point of Belarus, perhaps you missed this last week from investigative journalists and foreign policy experts Michael Weiss and Holger Runema at Yahoo News. A leaked internal strategy document from Vladimir Putin's executive office and obtained by Yahoo News lays out a detailed plan on how Russia plans to take control over neighboring Belarus in the next decade under the pretext of a merger between the two countries. The document outlines in granular detail a creeping annexation by political, economic and military means of an independent but illiberal European nation by Russia, which is an act which is an active state of war in its bid to conquer Ukraine through overwhelming force. Quote, Russia's goal with regards to Belarus are the same as with Ukraine, says Michael Carpenter, the U.S. ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or OSHA. Only in Belarus, it relies on coercion rather than war. Its end goal is still wholesale incorporation he argued, according to the document issued in fall of 2021. So this is as Russian forces were gathering on the border of Ukraine, just a few months before they would launch a massive invasion of the sovereign state at the end of February, just over one year ago, February 24 of 2022. Uh, Even though, by the way, at the time, you may remember That a whole bunch of folks on the supposed left who are now telling you that we must bow to Putin, those same people, many of them were then telling you that Russia absolutely would never invade Ukraine. Do you remember that? I hope you do, because those are the same people telling you now, lying to you now, that the war would somehow be over. Somehow it it would be over in no time at all if only the U.S. and the EU would just stop supporting Ukraine. Well, yeah, it might be over, but not in a good way. In a way that would mean Russia was allowed to acquire and control all of Ukraine and merge it back into Russia itself. Anyway, according to uh, this document, allegedly an internal strategy document from Putin's executive office, the end goal is the formation of a so-called union state of Russia and Belarus by no later than 2030. So the end of this decade. Everything involved in the merger of the two countries has been considered in this, according to this document, including the, quote, harmonization of Belarusian laws with those of the Russian Federation, a, quote, coordinated foreign and defense policy and, quote, trade and economic cooperation on the basis of the priority of Russian interests. I quote, ensuring the predominant influence of the Russian Federation in the socio political, trade economic, scientific educational, and cultural information spheres. That, according to this newly obtained uh, or newly leaked document, of course, I cannot verify the authenticity of this document, but a lot of folks in this article are quoted as doing so, as, as it was said to have been obtained by an international consortium of journalists from Yahoo News, media outlets in Estonia, London, Sweden, Ukraine, Germany, Poland, Belarus, and elsewhere in Europe, all of whom have uh, very strong and long-time reputations as serious media outlets. But again, I can't va- uh, verify it by myself. But in this long, long detailed article, uh, Yahoo News does. The authorship of the strategy document, according to a Western official, said to have direct knowledge of its construction, belongs to the Presidential Directorate for Cross-Border Cooperation. That's a subdivision of Putin's presidential administration. That was established five years ago. The rather innocuously named directorate's actual task is to exert control over neighboring countries that Russia sees in its uh, sphere of influence. Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine and Moldova. By 2025, the strategy document states there needs to be, quote, sustainable pro-Russian groups of influence in Belarusian politics, military and business. So that's just, you know, by 2025. It also advocates the expansion of Russian military presence in Belarus and the introduction of a simplified procedure for issuing Russian passports to Belarusian citizens. A Western military officer told Yahoo News that, quote, passportization in other words, giving them Russian passports is one of the key processes that Russia uses to quietly take over sovereign territory. Quote, they used it in Abkhazia, as well as in South Ossetia and eastern Ukraine, the officer said. They hand out Russian passports to local people in order to then extend their interests into the regions. When needed, they can simply use their compatriots' rights as a justification to intervene with force. Sound familiar? There are, you know, Russian citizens there that are being threatened. We must invade to protect them. That is exactly what Russia did in eastern Ukraine. Are the misinformation experts telling you that when they talk about how Russia's attack on Ukraine is all the fault somehow of the U.S.? Or are they forgetting that point in their rush to pass on Russian propaganda and anti-U.S., anti-NATO agitprop? The Kremlin uh, did not respond to Yahoo News' uh, request for comment. And like I said, it's a long and detailed article. I'll link to it when I post tonight's show at bradblog.com. You can check it out for yourself. And, of course, you know, the contentions in the document, they also sync up pretty squarely with stuff that Putin has now been saying for some time about the reformulation of a Russian empire following the fall of the Soviet Union. In practice, as Yahoo reports, this would eliminate whatever remains of Belarus's sovereignty and reduce a country about the size of Kansas with a little bit more than nine million people in it to the status of a Moscow satellite. It would put Belarusians at the mercy of the Kremlin's priorities, whether in agriculture, industry, espionage or war. It would pose a security threat to Belarus's European neighbors three of which, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland, are members of NATO and the European Union. And, of course, it would be directly uh, at threat from an emboldened authoritarian Russia. All of that is at stake here. Democracy in Europe and elsewhere in the world as we know it, as Russian authoritarianism is on the attempted rise, and incredibly, folks in this country, on the right and on the left, do not seem to understand the stakes, Uh, choosing essentially to roll over instead because Putin's Russia, well, they still have nuclear weapons. And Putin has subtly and not so subtly threatened to use those weapons during his failing imperialistic invasion of his sovereign neighbor. A sovereign neighbor, by the way, uh, who Russia agreed in the uh, so-called Budapest Memorandums in 1994 to protect against all threats. In exchange for Ukraine at the time turning over all of its nuclear weapons to guess who, to Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union when Ukraine was uh, the uh, th- the third armed Third most armed nuclear power in the world. They turned over their weapons to Russia as part of this agreement in 1994, the Budapest Memorandum, in exchange for Russia saying, yes, we will protect your border. Yes, we will guarantee your sovereignty. So much for that guarantee. So do those folks telling you that the U.S. needs to stop its support for Ukraine because somehow Russia is not to blame here, but the U.S. and NATO are to blame? Because, you know, Russia felt threatened by an encroaching NATO or something. Do those folks tell you about the security and border guarantees that were given to Ukraine in that 1994 Budapest agreement by Russia, signed by Russia, also signed by the United States, the United Kingdom, Ukraine, Belarus and Kazakhstan? Do they tell you that? Do they remember to mention that to you while passing on Kremlin funded state propaganda over your public airwaves and elsewhere? And yes, including this very station I'm speaking from right now. Am I wrong? Please tell me why. 818-985-5735. One uh, commentator, and then we'll take a break. We'll come back to your calls. I know a lot of people want to get in on this. Uh, One commentator at uh, Yahoo News in response to that uh, article pointed out, Uh, In response to those who claim that Russia had no choice but to invade Ukraine because this is all about their fear that NATO would somehow threaten or invade Russia, despite NATO being a defensive coalition in which sovereign nations apply for membership themselves and they have to meet certain standards of small-D democratic values before they're allowed to become a part of the coalition— And that and that even Putin himself, for example, has said he has no problem with nations like Sweden and Finland joining NATO, even as they are literally on Russia's border. So uh, the commentator, uh, the commenter on on this article correctly noted, uh, at least in my opinion, Putin is not afraid of NATO's military on his borders. He is afraid of democracy and the threat it means to him and the cronies around him. This is all about power he wrote. And I believe the uh, commenter there is exactly correct. Perhaps you don't. Now's your chance to let me know. Join me on the show. Tell me why. Because I know a lot of folks, yes, on the left. Yes, right here at in Los Angeles uh, on KPFK are being, uh, to put it kindly, misled about these facts. 818 Five seven three five eight one eight nine eight five KPFK. Hit option number one to join us on air, or option number two to donate during KPFK's ongoing fund drive today. Let me take a quick call. A lot of you want to get in. We'll take a quick call. I mean a quick break, and we'll be back with your calls right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. <laughs>
2: Bradblog.com slash donate. That's Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Seems it never rains itself
1: on you. No. Never. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We had a bit of a break for about 24 hours or so from the unrelenting rain here in Southern California. It's back. It will be back for the next two or three days. Please stay safe. Please stay dry. Uh, I know a lot of folks are running into a lot of problems with it out there. Uh, on On the other side, on the upside, we are recharging our aquifers, our reservoirs, and coming back at least in part from our... A horrific, years-long extreme drought. Let's- yes,
2: we're trying to come back, but uh, unfortunately, these latest storms aren't going to be enough to end the historic drought, but at least it's helping quite a bit. It's taken quite a
1: bite out of it. Quit quit your complaining. <laughs> We've got two or three more days to go of this. 818-985-5735 is our phone number if you want to get in on, if you've got thoughts, responses uh, to my thoughts on Ukraine and whether or not we ought to be scared of uh, Vladimir Putin's threat Of using nuclear weapons. Let me go to uh, Daniel in Oakland. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, Daniel in Oakland. Are you there? Oh, okay. We will come back somehow to Daniel, I hope. Let me go to actually, I don't even know how to put him on hold. Can you do that for me, Des? Let me go to William in the meantime. Oh, we lost Daniel. Call back, Daniel. William in Los Angeles. Hey, Daniel. Um, hey, William. Welcome to the broadcast. It's my first day on air. How can I help you, sir?
3: Hey, thanks for taking.
1: My pleasure. What's up, brother?
3: Um. Honestly, the uh, the rhetoric we're hearing coming from Putin is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it would benefit. The U.S. and the world, if if Biden would publicly state that if nukes were to be used, there would be no winners. I know it's been floated a lot in the media that Putin could be considering using a tactical nuke locally within Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that instance, I think there would be no winners. I, I think one of the things that we don't hear talked about a lot in the media. And I think is the main reason or one of the main reasons that Putin is interested in Ukraine is because of the large amount of grain that's produced there. Mm-hmm. And if you're paying attention to the climate crisis and food insecurity worldwide, you know, that, uh, that this is a major issue. And if you're a leader of any country, that's got to be, you know, one, of, one of your prime concerns mm. is, is how to feed your people yep. and, uh, and it, the, you know, whoever controls the food is going to control a lot more power as well. Yeah. It's another form of, of going to war for oil. But uh, in this case, if you look at the Arab Spring in Egypt, one of the main things that people were, were uh, screaming as they were marching was bread, because um they have a—you know, that's one of the main staples of, of uh, the— Diet in Egypt, and they were having mm-hmm. trouble securing enough grain to produce just basic bread
1: yeah, so, by the way, one of the reasons for that was thanks to climate change, thanks to extreme drought at the time, uh, that uh, yeah made a, it turned into a real food crisis out there,
3: which yeah. helped
1: uh, push along the, uh, the, the the arab Spring at the time
3: and, and Putin actually reduced grain exports from Russia at that time. Um, I would assume, needing to hold on to it for its own people.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of resources, uh, obviously, in Ukraine. There's a lot of reasons, I understand, that Putin would want it. uh, But I think there's even more reason uh, for the world to say no and to stop the encroachment into other uh, sovereign nations, including when it's the U.S. who is doing it. And just to be clear, I was very strongly against, you know, our incursions into Iraq for the very same reasons. Now, right, right, right. now it's yeah. just it's so bizarre to yeah. see these anti-war folks who were anti-war against U.S. Uh, invading uh, Iraq. And now they seem to be somehow on Putin's and Russians' side while Russia is invading its sovereign neighbor. Very bizarre. Yeah.
3: Well, I think a lot of people just default to war is bad and and I think the way we've been handling it thus far at least from what I know from the press is is fairly wise although if you're familiar with uh, Seymour Hersh's recent reporting on mm-hmm. the fact that uh that President Biden secretly took out uh the the um gas
1: the Nord Stream pipeline, uh pipeline yeah
3: that's uh that's a little potentially troubling. Well, it, it, it is
1: troubling. On the other hand, let's be clear. Uh, Cy Hersh's story cites one single unnamed source uh, for this claim. So let's be He's very careful. that? Bef-
3: yes, He's got a pretty good track record, and, and we'd like to espouse a lot of information uh, um, in the news and on these programs mm-hmm. that are probably based on flimsier sources or... Uh,
1: well, let me. I want to. I want to say something real quickly about that, William. And then I got a lot of other folks that I want to try to get in here. But let me just uh, say that uh, the f- folks who I have heard from who know Cy Hirsch, uh, who know his work, his critical work over the years, have said that in fact that critical work was done at major publications, in which a lot of times a lot of Cy Hirsch's uh, material needed to be edited, and sources that were you know single sourced, uh, you know, not on record, needed to be removed. Now, uh, Cy Hirsch is working on his own, on his own newsletter. There is no such editor uh, who might have said, you know what? I don't know if we, uh, Seymour, I don't know if we got a story here yet when our only source for this is one person who is not named. Right. Just keep that yeah, in mind.
3: I, under- All right. I certainly understand that. Right. I, I have a gut feeling that as time goes on, we're going to we're going to find out that that, that that story is true. It might be 10 years from now, but yeah, uh, we'll find out. But uh, (laughs) thanks, William. If you watch watch the interview of President Biden at the time Uh making a public threat that if, you know, that he or that the U.S. would shut down the pipeline, um, it it seems pretty clear that that's reporting that there should be... uh,
1: all right, thank you, William. I appreciate that, Des, You're signaling you've got a. a well, I mean, there I, I think I
2: understand people's um, uh, that that clip from Biden in the past talking about that the Nord Stream pipeline will be shut down. What he meant was that it won't go into service, which it never did. It never went right. into service in the first place, right. and there are other. Things that, uh, you know, the other reporting has shown that Russia did have some things to gain from the closure of the Nord Stream pipeline, including not having to pay fines for cutting off the uh, gas deliveries that they were doing because their contact contract required that. So, you know, it's a it's a very big question as to what actually happened.
1: Do we have Daniel back here from Oakland? Let me see if uh, we can make this work this time. Hey, Daniel uh, from Oakland. Welcome to the broadcast. Do we have you this time? Oh, Daniel, where are you, brother? Are you not there? Did I screw it up? Is it my fault? Is he there? That line's not working. I don't know. All right. Darn. Keep trying. Is that the same Dan that we had a problem with last time too? That he dropped a week or so ago?
2: I'm not sure if it's the same, but it's odd. I'm, <sighs> I'm going to keep trying. Looking. Yeah, cuz his name
1: that. was his name was Dan. Let's go to Kelvin in Los Angeles. Hey Kelvin, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, Kelvin. Uh-oh. Are we having problems? We might be. Okay. I don't even know how to get him back on hold. I always, you know, was able to get him on the air and never had those problems. Oh, Kelwin? Is that Kelwin? Kelvin He can't hear me. All right. We are going to try to go to Mike in Liana Valley. Let's see if this works. Yeah, I'm oh i Oh, good. Hey, Mike, how are you, sir? Hello.
4: It's oh, pretty good. It's kind of wet and rainy, but I'm surviving. Good. I'm
1: glad to hear that. What are your thoughts today on this conversation?
4: Well, I, I just think that it's this same, the same old stuff we heard in Vietnam and in uh, the war that we had in the Middle East. I think it's mainly this propaganda, and it's just causing more of a problem. But I think that uh, I think that our president should not be such a war hawk as he's as he's proven to be, and that they need to get this this war situated. You know, through negotiations.
1: Mike, how? Let me ask you. uh, You say such a war hawk. He was trying to warn against this war. He was trying to uh, tell Vladimir Putin and Russia to not invade because it would lead to war. How does that make Joe Biden a war hawk? Uh,
4: Because now that he's just promoting more wars, that's that's what they do. How is he promoting? Same thing on the other side. No,
1: but explain that to me, Mike. How is he promoting a war when he tried to prevent this war from happening?
4: Well, he's. Because he keeps on, you know, supporting this side, and he has a nasty attitude when he talks about Russia. He doesn't want to compromise.
1: So what would, Mike, what would a compromise look like?
4: It would have to be a negotiation between the two parties, of course. Mm
1: -hmm. So you believe that uh, an aggressor nation ought to be allowed to keep uh, a piece of a nation that it invades violently. Is that what you're suggesting?
4: No, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm, you're putting words in my mouth.
1: Well, I'm trying to understand. That at all. What, I, yeah. what I'm
4: saying is, this is that the two sides are involved in propaganda and that they should just drop the propaganda and get down to think about the people and the world as it is today and have progressive ideas in the world instead of war. That's okay. what I'm saying. See, I'm a real mm-hmm. pacifist. I don't mm-hmm. think you are.
1: Okay, well, here's the problem with that. If we are a pacifist in this case, that means Russia takes ukraine well we it? we so I mean, you're we, both sides Brad, it Brad,
4: but, I, yeah. you know i, I think you miss the whole point of what I'm saying. They need negotiated settlements, and they need to appease each other, not oppose each other the idea of each other okay. I don't really think you understand that. I'm
1: sorry. That's okay. I guess. I guess I don't because I. That's why I was asking what a compromise looks like, and any potential compromise at this point would seem to be to allow the stop invaders stop killing each other. Stop killing, stop killing each, each other each sounds other. good. That would be the compromise. Sounds good to me. Now, do you think if there's uh, of the parties who are involved here in this war, can you think of any one of them? that could end, literally end the war, let's say, tomorrow?
4: You know, I have no idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way this,
4: these wars seem to take on their own vicious uh, cycles. And if it continues on, it'll just get worse.
1: Right. Well, that's for sure. If Russia leaves the neighbor, the uh, country that it invaded, the war ends, doesn't it, Mike?
4: Well, it used to be the capital. I mean, I can see their side, but they're saying, Kiev is like with the of the, the Rush at one time and all that, and I understand. And it is a breadbasket of the old Soviet Union. I know all that. Mm-hmm. But the idea that I see is they need to understand that the people that are getting killed are victims of these uh, ideas of, uh, of who's top dog.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Uh, well, I, I do. And, you know, uh, California used to be a part of Mexico. I'm not sure if uh, we should allow Mexico to invade California and then negotiate with them f- to keep part of California. I don't know. Thanks, Mike. I do appreciate your thoughts here. Look, but, again, yeah. it's, it's one.
4: Mean, we we th- can sit here and argue about aggressive nations and all that from here to the doomsday because they've all done it and it needs
1: mm- to stop. Ukraine hasn't done it. Ukraine has not invaded Russia, Mike.
4: Yeah, I realize
1: that. Yeah. So to say they've all that, done I mean, it, it was, to both it's sides. All over, yeah. It's all over materialism, okay.
4: and it needs to be negotiated. And I think the people that are on the outside have got to make these guys, these leaders that are having all the trouble, yeah. listen to us instead of fighting with each other like a bunch of fools.
1: Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that call. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. You know, uh, when you both sides this, when you say, oh, they all have to stop, they're they're all acting like fools, they're all acting like aggressors. Well, one of the countries involved in this matter was not acting like an aggressor. It was being aggressed upon. It is being aggressed upon. And while I wish everyone would stop acting like a fool, I wish everyone would stop uh, their war. I'm against all wars. I do believe that people have a right to defend themselves against an onslaught, against uh, war crimes, which is exactly what is happening right now in Ukraine. And it just so happens that uh, in defending themselves, they are defending democracy or they are defending the rest of Europe. And when you say, oh, they all need to, they just all should behave better. Well, what happens is then they're all the same. Then Putin's as bad as Zelensky's, as bad as Biden. They're all the same. We throw our hands up. There's nothing we can do about that. I don't agree. I believe we ought to hold those people accountable for war crimes. I believe I believed it when it was the U.S. I believed it when George W. Bush uh, invaded Iraq. I believe he should have been held accountable for war crimes. Anyway, a lot of folks want to get in. Let's see how many we can get in here. Uh, Bill in Santa Monica, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. I think we need to... Try a, him on the left side. Uh, well, I try him on the left side. Let's see if I go over here. Does that work? Oh, Bill, are you there? No, Bill. Uh, it's it's questionable about lines three and four there, Des. I'm st- starting to think. Uh, let me try uh, Leah in Los Angeles. I am sorry to everyone who's calling in. We're having these uh, various problems. I'll blame the the weather. Uh, hey, Leah in Los Angeles, can we get to you?
5: Yes. Hi, Brad. How are
1: you? I'm hanging in and, there. Uh,
5: well, Brad, yeah. I do disagree with you. Okay. I will say this. Yep. First of all, I'm not left, right, or center, okay? I am saying I could care less about these corrupt political parties. But what I am concerned about, okay, Mm -hmm. as as most of the callers I'm sure are, most of the people listening, we are having our tax dollars by the billions of unaudited dollars Mm -hmm. leaving this country, this country, the USA, our money, okay, That should go for our medical. Mm -hmm. We can't get national health care. We need to end homelessness here. We need to make sure that our infrastructure is taken care of. We need to ensure that the commons are over the gas and the electricity and all of that. While we're sitting, why our administration is sending up there appearing as though they care so much about Ukraine. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the thousands of dollars I mean thousands of people who are dying right here because of, of negligent medical care, because of they're dying of freezing cold yeah. and illness. L- let me homelessness let me, out let, on the street. Yeah. Come on, Brad. Yeah. Well give me a break.
1: Uh, Well, okay. Uh, I'm not going to say anyone doesn't care, uh, especially after, uh, the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress over the past year or two, actually the past, you know, decade or so have been working so hard to try to get health care to millions of people. Have they done enough? Have they solved the problem? No, they haven't. But that said, uh, let me, Leah, hang on. Let me ask you a question. I'll let you speak here. (laughs) Leah, that's okay. Um, do you think it was a mistake for the U.S. to enter World War II?
5: You know, we're not talking about World War II. What we're talking. Are you about sure? Right now, Are you sure? We don't want people. No, 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 Brad. Uh huh. We're not talking about people having genocide and being exterminated. We're That's not. not what we're talking about. Are you here.
1: really? Are we're you sure?
5: talking about. Let me ask you this, Brad. Can yeah. I ask a quick question?
2: Go ahead. Okay. Yeah.
5: Let me ask you this. Uh uh-huh. Would would the Ukrainian president, Zelensky, or however you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. would he be would he be uh, negotiating, would he be willing to negotiate if he did not have the power and authority of a U.S. citizen backing him up? Or would he negotiate then? Or is he doing it because we are paying the price for him to be able to do it?
1: Well, uh, Ukraine, let me, Ukraine had, let me, let me, let me answer your question, uh, Leah. Okay. R- uh, Ukraine, in <laughs> fact, has spent, uh, the last, where are we, almost nine years, uh, trying to defend their nation, losing about 14,000 Ukrainians before uh, the invasion last year by Russia. They have been trying to defend themselves and their homeland for quite a while at quite a high price. So, yes, they would, I believe, be doing what they are doing and trying to survive. In fact, they were doing that uh, well before uh, you know, the U.S. and EU and NATO, etc., began to uh, assist them, you know, after a few uh, weeks or months into the war. So, yeah, they would be fighting How many this Americans fight.
5: Americans did we lose last year due to Homelessness and poverty.
1: Too many. How many too many. Did we too, lose? Ma- too many. Here's the deal, though, Leah. You okay. are here. Let me explain this. You are being okay. hoaxed into believing it is an either-or matter. It is not. We can do both. If we want to solve homelessness, we can. If we want to do that at the same time that we are helping defend democracy itself on this planet in Europe to avoid another World War II, we can do it. Don't let these guys get in between you and me, Leah. We are on the same side. It is not either or. We don't have to choose. We can do all the right things.
5: things though, Brad, because guess how, how when these people died of earthquakes? Yep. When we should have been sending aid and equipment Correct. to help them. Yeah. Let's do something like help people live. Let's do die.
1: Let's do that as well. We are helping people to live, Leah. There is a country being attacked right now. We are helping them defend themselves from war crimes, from butchery. Have you not seen uh, the, the way uh, Russia is attacking apartment buildings and schools and power supplies and civilian infrastructure, committing war crimes? You, uh, how can you wait, look at that and not be moved by
5: it i mean then russia say that they would negotiate however they don't want people on their border the same way that we would not want people on our border
1: it's it's, you know we don't control hang on we don't control what happens on the other side of someone's border they claim they won't want people on the other side of the border well guess what ukraine is a nation they live there that's where the people are. Do you, do you feel that Ukraine should have to move to a – all the citizens should have to move elsewhere because Russia is concerned about what goes on on their side of the border? For years, we didn't give any lethal aid to Ukraine for just that reason. This notion, this pretend notion that somehow Russia was going to be attacked by who? Ukraine was going to attack Russia? Moldova? Poland? Finland, Sweden, who's going to attack Russia? No one's going to attack Russia. It's imaginary. And again, they're trying to get in between, into your head, into our heads, between us, to try to, uh, you know, I can't can't hear you, Leah. You got your hand over the phone? There you go. Go ahead. Yes, Leah, go ahead. Oh, okay. We, I'm sorry. We, we've, I think we've lost you, Leah. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. I do appreciate the call. Leah, I am sorry for whatever is going on in, with our phones. Blame the weather. Barry in Santa Monica. Hey, Barry, we got you. Hi. Hi, Barry.
6: Yeah, hi. This is, this is Barry in Santa Monica.
1: That's what I hear. What's up, brother?
6: Yeah, I want to tell you that I... I appreciate everything you've been saying in support of Ukraine. I find it interesting that all these civilians are ready to give their opinion of uh, we should go, we should not go. Well, I'm a nom vet dude, and I know all about war. And my feeling is, like you, no one should go to war. But I, uh, my father came from the Ukraine, mm. and he survived anti-Semitism most of his life there and here, just as I have, including in Nam and in Georgia and so forth. Mm. And I'm proud of my heritage. And I volunteered to go to the Ukraine as a driver, because that's what I did in Nam. I figured I could save women and children on the road, but I never heard through this military form because I guess of my age. Mm. But I support this country. I've said for years to friends in America, we're on the verge of World War Three, man. If you see other countries are aligning in this world with all these authoritarian governments, with uh, Iran and North Korea and Russia and China, I mean, it just seems like they're itching to go to war. And my feeling is what Putin can't stand is if uh, Ukraine joins NATO, he'll have... He'll have democracy at his back door, and my feeling is he can't handle that. And I, I, I will do everything and anything to support the Ukrainian people. Thank you. Just like us. Th-
1: thank you for the call, Barry. I I do appreciate that, and I appreciate your thoughts uh, and your service. Thank you, sir. Eight one eight nine eight five. K.P.F.K., uh, Des, I'm going to blow through the second uh, uh, break because we've got so many guests here who want, to, uh, who want to get in, and I would rather hear from them. So uh, Dave in Los Angeles. Hey, Dave. Uh, and we're going to go, go as quickly as we can here now because we're coming up to the top of the hour, but I want to get in as many voices as I can. Dave in Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast. Sir, what's on your mind? Quickly.
7: Hey, how are you doing? Hang in there. What's up? Okay. Okay. So I've got to ask the first question. Because and I, I usually don't call. But what is Putin doing that he hasn't learned from watching the U.S. for the last several decades? Invading Vietnam, mm-hmm. invading Iraq, mm-hmm. invading Afghanistan. And Ukraine is actually historically part of Russia. And you don't well... ever bring up... The fact yeah. that there was a coup back in 2014, and the CIA basically supplanted a democratically elected official. Yeah, the people in the eastern sections didn't want to go along with that coup. Yeah, and the right-wing nationalists in Ukraine killed up to 14 or 15 thousand Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Mm-hmm in the Donbass and the eastern province.
1: Yeah, that's not exactly, that's why, Dave. Hang on, let me just get in a real quick response. That's not exactly what happened and you're presuming this it was is, And I okay. think I, I okay. think it is and okay. I think
7: you're the one that's mistaken.
1: Okay. I hear
7: you. Okay. Yep. And you said you sound like you sound like a CIA apologist or something. Okay. A war machine wanted the neocons in, in D.C. have wanted this war for decades because they're making billions of dollars.
1: Well, they were making billions of dollars before, Dave. Uh so what you're saying is you would hey, like hey, on, making on, billions no, da- I'm coming up. Hang on. Hang on, Dave. Da- no, you're not going to do that. Sorry, brother. What? We're 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 coming up at the top of the hour. If you want to have a give and take, I'm happy to do it as best I can with everyone. But you're not going to tell me to shut up on my own show. They're making billions of dollars already. The war industry, which I have been against for decades at this point, you're welcome to say I sound like a CIA apologist. I was in favor. I was uh, supporting uh, uh, Biden when he was trying to prevent the war from happening in Ukraine. I'm not sure how that underscores how he secretly wants the war. Uh, the industry, the military industrial complex is going to make their billions no matter what. Let's stop the death and killing. And right now, there's one way to do it. Russia can leave Ukraine. War ends tomorrow. Uh, who, oh, I know we're coming up at the top of the hour. I want to get in as many as I can. Um uh, give me a where I go. There, there we go. Let me try. Keith in Los and in in, in uh, Long Beach. Hey, Keith. Welcome to the broadcast.
3: Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure.
1: What's up? Um, Quickly.
3: I I don't know why you're continuing to go along this line, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff you're you're you know you're stating mm-hmm. is it's really um, you're not telling whole facts. Okay. In this matter. um,
1: I only got a minute or so here, Keith. Very quickly, what is it that I'm not telling? So you can tell people what I'm not telling them. Go ahead.
3: Okay. All right. Let me just say this, and I'll let you have the rest of the the minute. Uh You're omitting facts. That means you're lying.
1: Like what? Uh, What am I omitting? uh,
3: The State Department. You're telling this. You're you're touting the State Department line, and you're not telling the whole facts of what's going on.
1: What am I not telling? What am I not telling?
3: Selectively and you're just a propaganda.
1: Keith, tell me one and thing. You're welcome you to call me a liar if you want, but only if you tell I me what I'm mean, lying no, about. Very yeah, quickly, right. Keith, tell me you're, what it is I'm not telling. A, you're just a sleazy propaganda. Okay, so you're not going to tell me no, one point? You've got, you've got... Go away. Okay, bye. Go off. Get off the station. You okay. don't need to be here. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. I would have preferred, Keith, had you actually told me what it was, even one thing that I was not telling people that makes me a propagandist do i have time for another call or two very short very brief i apologize ethan in orange county welcome to the broadcast sir
7: hey nice to see you brother hey you go ahead uh i just want to say man.
1: we lost him okay we lost him I'm sure it was my fault. My apologies for that. Also, I think my apologies to everyone else. I don't know if I have enough time. Let me get. Do I have time for one more? Morris, in as usual in Long Beach. Oh, Mo, go ahead. You got ten seconds. Even Morris, Morris, can we hear you? Speak up, brother. No! Oh, very disappointing. I'm sure Morris had his best comment ever. My apologies, Morris, that we couldn't get to you. Again, blaming the weather, working on the internet, and the phone system here. Thanks for everybody who tolerated us. My apologies to those folks who I could not get to. By the way, uh, someone on the Twitters uh, rings in to say, Hey, Brad, I don't think you're doing a good job convincing people to donate by bashing other KPFK shows. Kind of makes it seem like the station's not worth it. Good luck, though. Well... I think telling the truth is always worth it. It is never necessarily easy. No guarantee of it. But we will keep trying day in and day out right here on the Bradcast. Thank you for listening. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Yaut Orozco, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download them all for free at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad blog. Oh, and on the Mastodons. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. Hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
2: To the broadcast, we are 100% listener-supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/slash/donate.
8: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day with whistles blowing, the call to strike could be heard through the aisles of Woolworth in downtown Detroit. 108 saleswomen walked away from their workstations and cash registers. The eight-day sit-down had begun. The women saw from the experience in Flint that sit-down strikes were effective. They evicted management, barricaded the doors, and found 200 or so customers still inside the store wanting to join them. The strikers issued their demands. A $0.10 an hour raise, an eight-hour workday, union recognition, and a union hiring hall, free uniforms and laundering and more kresge department stores immediately gave their workers a raise in order to prevent similar stoppages the striking women at woolworth made themselves comfortable and the sit-down soon spread to a second store leaders from local 705 of the hotel employees and restaurant employees union threatened a nationwide strike if demands were not met Union cooks provided meals, and union musicians provided entertainment. Hotel workers from across the city picketed in front of the store in a show of solidarity. After seven days, Woolworth's management caved and agreed to most of the strikers' demands. High turnover in the workforce would undo contract gains at area Woolworth stores soon after the sit-down, but the victory electrified retail workers across the country. The sit-down spread to retailers in St. Louis, New York, San Francisco, Minnesota, and Washington. In three strikes, miners, musicians, sales girls, and the fighting spirit of labor's last century, Dana Frank notes that, quote, over 60 years later, unions today in department stores all over the country owe their existence in part to the Woolworth strike. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.